You're now listening to the Boys in the Booth podcast with your hosts, Harper Cody, Chad Melbourne, and Casey Abrams. New episodes every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Episode 107 of the Boys in the Booth podcast. Welcome to it. Cody Abrams and Melbourne. And uh, guys, I am jacked up for this one. We've got a special guest joining us, a popular guest. And uh, we're going to be talking to him about a couple of big subjects. Before we bring him in, uh, guys, how you doing? Doing well, Harp. I'm here in North Augusta, spending a little time with my family before I take off to Europe for Christmas. So we're going to do a little early Christmas here, and then I'm off to Sweden. Um, I want to start off, before I get over to Chad here, with a quick little rant. Why, when there's the lightest dusting of snow on the roads, <laughs> do people have to go 60 kilometers an hour in an 80? <laughs> when you're driving a 4x4 pickup truck, you're going 60 kilometers an hour with a light dusting of snow, and I get to sit behind you my whole ride home. It makes me want to just turn right sharp into the forest and just not drive anymore. <laughs> Fuck. Case, I, I can relate to that, but I, I think I'm on the opposite side here. And it's not about driving slow, but it's about walking slow. And in, in the snow the other mm. day, I, I am a notorious fast walker normally. But in the snow the other day, it was my first day putting my boots on from, from last winter. I haven't worn them in about a year. I was walking through the slush on, on the sidewalk and Paige is next to me. She's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you walking so slow? Like, what's going on? And I kid you not, like, I'm doing this to get my bearings. So I kind of understand, you know, the driving slow, like getting used to it again. So I'm here to stick up for the slow drivers, even though I'm with you. They piss me off oh my god that's pretty insane um good good week for me and the next couple are gonna be busy but after that i'm off for three and i can't wait to go home for for winter break and play some pond hockey out on the saint lawrence river and we've got a nice day planned a, a boys in the booth winter classic hopefully we're able to do something with that and film a little video for you guys similar to the uh to the pepsi cup video that we did so a lot coming and uh just just ready to enjoy the holidays and and finish up my first semester of law school here Yeah, absolutely. And uh, ready for the World Juniors as well. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be great. So anyway, let's bring in our special guest. It is Alan Etmanski, play-by-play man for the Kingston Frontenacs and a uh, big fan of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Alan, how you doing, man? Welcome back to the show. I'll tell you, I was a little hesitant to jump on this show because I talked a lot of smack about every single one of you guys over the last six months or so. And now it's my turn to eat a little crow. So I guess I guess turnabout's fa- fair play. But it's good to be back and I'll take my lumps. It's it's all fair and, and it's all it's all in the sport. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, all right. So for this uh, for this epi, we'll start with a little fantasy corner, which uh, you're going to be a part of. Alan, we'll get <coughs> you to talk about your your week seven matchup in the boys in the booth fantasy hockey league. And then we're going to go into uh, a conversation about Kingston Frontenac's forward and 
projected first overall pick in the upcoming NHL entry draft. That would be uh, Mr. Shane Wright. And then uh, a conversation about the situation with the Montreal Canadiens right now and the firing of general manager Mark Bergevin last weekend. So, Alan, you take it away for us uh, to start Fantasy Corner here. Uh, Just a little bit uh, on your Week 7 matchup, how you did, and uh, who you're liking on your team right now. Uh, I'm liking on my team whoever's healthy right now. I think I've got four <laughs> four major guys that are all on the IR and McKinnon, yeah. Nurse, Line A, and Anthony Duclair. Now he's out, so it's been kind of a mismatch of guys who were available and maybe some guys that I wasn't relying on heavily to come through for me. I think right now the guy that's that's picking up the most points is Ryan Getzlaff, who's drinking from the the fountain of youth right now, which is amazing for my team. But uh, other than that, not a lot going on uh, up front. My goalies are great. No complaints there. I've got Bobrovsky, Nedeljkovic, and Connor Hellebuck. So they're picking up the slack for my big four that are on the shelf right now. Hopefully, hopefully they stay on their timeline and I'll get them back in probably a week. But I think it's too late to make a push. Uh, Alan, first of all, you're welcome for Getzlaff, and thank you very much for <laughs> Wheeler, I believe. That was the trade, Getzlaff yeah, for Wheeler. I think so, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think at the time, fair trade, Getzlaff was was popping off, and he kind of still is, and Wheeler was sort of slumping. So, you know, I'm playing the long game here, so you're welcome for, for Getzlaff, one of your only guys producing right now in the absence of your big four. Um, for me, another week, another win for the multiple scoregasms. That's six in a row this week though was a very tight one i played the back backest door bandits and we were right down to the wire uh 229 to 203 it finished so about a 30 point gap there but it wasn't until sunday that i pulled ahead he was ahead of me by five to ten points all week i picked up a couple players uh specifically michael bunting was one of them who came in clutch he got me eight and a half points on sunday night to give me the win and uh so yeah i'm in first place now in the league and i can officially say that because the meatheads finally lost that's what we were all waiting for everybody in the league was waiting for luke's team to finally lose a a, a week a matchup <laughs> and so he did we're both 6-1-0 and now, sitting at first and second in the league. However, I have more total points, so I am currently sitting in first. Hopefully, I can keep that going this week against uh, the Danbury Thrashers, not the Danbury Trashers. I think Dylan uh, messed up the name there. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm projected to win this week. Again, it's going to be a bit of a close one, but I'm hoping uh, for the best here. One more thing before I pass it to uh, Casey next. Talk about his team. He's slowly climbing up the leaderboard, and it's pissing me off looking at it here but um i've I've got drew dowdy back starting tonight that was a waiver pickup i don't know who dropped him but drew dowdy now is a defenseman on the multiple scorgasms in the boys in the booth league and you guys should be very nervous about that case all right, I'm not very scared of Drew Doughty anymore for some reason, but <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll take your word for it. Um, I was off last week, so I kind of want to give a quick update of my week two weeks ago because I was playing LVB and it came down to the wire. I won by seven points, and Ooh. really, it, it came down to one game, like a legendary fantasy game, because on Friday of that week, I had um, Pierre-Luc Bois and Kyle Connor, J.T. Miller, Connor Garland, and Fab Shudemko in a Winnipeg versus Vancouver game. And he had um, 
Shifley, Wheeler, and Eric Comrie, the goalie for Winnipeg in that Vancouver-Winnipeg game. So it was all down to that, how that shook out. Um, Wheeler, or Dubois uh, got a goal, I think it was. JT Miller scored, or Connor Garland scored, assisted by JT Miller. Thatcher Demko got the win, so I absolutely ran away with that night and then took that week. Uh, I'm usually like a 200-point week kind of guy. Last week, god awful absolute dumpster fire it wasn't like i didn't have games i had like 44 games and i only ended up with 152 points just no one came to score uh daddy jt miller did not perform for me whatsoever and uh, i'm a little disappointed with him and i sent him some hate mail for that but <laughs> um just a terrible week and it dropped me down a little bit i thought i was gonna be in third after that week but hey what can you do you can't win them all you're coming you're coming for sure Oh, I did get Jack Hughes back tonight. Uh, Not only did he sign his ticket today, he also got cleared to play and is playing uh, in a god-awful game against San Jose right now. So that's perfect. All right. Well, a little update on uh, the 2021 Pepsi Cup scoring champs. Not a whole lot of scoring going on again in in week (laughs) seven. A uh, a 215 to 120 loss uh, to shipping and yandling. That's your buddy Remy, uh, Chad. And uh, so, yeah, that was last week to fall to to one and six. Uh, But. Guys, I got to tell you, I'm feeling optimistic about this week. I've got a tight battle against the mail order brides. Uh, that's Corey's team, of course. They are 0 and 7 out of the gate. So, uh, projected to win that one, but it's going to be close. And I picked up a very popular player in fantasy right now. And uh, that is a guy from my Buffalo Sabres in Tage Thompson, who is having a breakout season playing in the middle for the Sabres. He's got 10 goals, 16 points already in 22 games. So uh, feeling very good about that waiver pickup and, uh, Trying to be optimistic about this week and pick up that uh, that second win of the season. I hope you're optimistic. You're playing Corey. The guy hasn't set his lineups in six weeks. He's oh seven and oh. Like he's not even trying here. Like I hope you're optimistic. You're gonna you're gonna pull off the old Patrick Stefan on the empty net and like roof it. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll go back down and score. Uh, or when uh, the one I'm thinking of is when uh, Craig Smith was uh, was a rookie with Nashville, just airmails it over top of the net, goes back to the bench, and Mike Fisher's beside him and can't help but just laugh his ass off. <laughs> anyway, so hopefully I can take down uh, the mail order brides this week. That's for sure. Uh, I believe uh, last week, Harp. Just before we uh, before we wrap up here, I believe last week yep. we did the bottom five teams. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's do the uh, the top five. Okay. So the top five. I already mentioned the top two. Me and number one, the Meatheads at two. Shipping and Yandling, who beat you last week, Harper. That's my buddy Remy. He's at number three at five two and zero. Oh. The Danbury Thrashers again. Brutal name. You messed it up, Dylan. Uh, they're sitting in fourth, though, at 5-2-0. And in fifth spot, the team that I narrowly defeated last week, the Bacchus Door Bandits, uh, that's Taylor Prosser. So all in all, this fantasy has been uh, so much fun for everyone involved, all 14 teams. And, uh, you know, we're, we're cruising down into the season now. We're seven weeks in, and uh, we're kind of, like, there's been a ton of moves, like, especially today and, and well, there's, Sunday. there's a ton of moves because we get, like, 
four different trade offers a day from uh, AJ Galante over there. (laughs) (laughs) It's always Dylan. Oh, and speaking of, Alan, actually, uh, they followed you today on Instagram. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. AJ, uh, AJ runs that. I think. I think him and his old man. I don't think his old man's too tech savvy, but yeah, they're out there and just hanging on to that two years of glory and stretching out as long as they can. So, how did that? Like, do you have any sort of connection? Like, you DM them or something? Like, how does that work? We we've they've put a couple things up and like we've chatted a little bit and stuff, but other than that, not really. Well, that's cool. I have uh, I have a jersey awesome, on the man. way, so uh, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. Which oh, which yeah, one the right. like the the NASCAR one or like the Army one? Yeah, I, I got the, the original. I got the racing one. I'm looking forward to that. It, it's so nasty. Sweet. Uh, alrighty. Well, uh, that's uh, that does it for uh, for Fantasy Corner. Week eight is underway in the Boys in the Booth Fantasy Hockey League, and uh, and now we'll move on to a conversation about Shane Wright of the Kingston Frontenacs. He is the projected number one overall pick for the 2022 NHL Entry Draft. And uh, Alan, uh, with you back uh, in the rank doing Kingston Frontenacs games again this season, uh, you had the pleasure of interviewing. Shane Wright a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just very simple question for you right off the bat. Why is this kid the real deal? And why is he an absolute lock for uh, the number one overall selection in the upcoming NHL draft? He's just so level-headed and so mature for his age. Like You'd never know when, when you're talking to him off the ice. And I think I said this last year when we, we chatted about him, but you'd never know that he's a 17-year-old kid. You'd think he's been in the, in the league for years. He's just so mature, the way he sees the game, how he handles himself on the ice, away from it. Um, very polished, very professional, but still allows a little bit of personality to come through. I know the big knock against Connor McDavid when he was going through junior was he was so robotic and just so so stone-faced when he did all his interviews. And it's not the case with Shane. He'll show a little bit of emotion, but does it in a way where um, he's still very down the middle and level-headed about everything. And then you watch him on the ice, and the things he does on the ice, it's just it's mind-blowing. And I know that he's gotten out to a bit of a slow start this year and people were talking, well, maybe he's not as good as we thought, but he's playing with some top notch talent. And so he draws guys that frees up all the space for these other wingers to, to go and do their thing. And he'll be okay with that because that's the type of player is he, he's a very much a team first guy and you see it night in and night out. Alan, I wanted to ask with the world juniors coming up and, and speaking of Shane, Wright. Where do you think Wright fits in on Team Canada in terms of, of the amount of minutes he'll play on a night-to-night basis and, and what kind of line you see him playing on? Just where does he fit in your opinion? I know a lot of people want want him centering that top line, but I think the best fit for him is probably in the second, third line area just because it'll be his first World Juniors and with all the hype, there's going to be a ton of pressure on him. So if he's on that first line and he struggles, you can you know people are going to hop all over him and just come at him with their knives like they do during World Juniors time. Um, but if you watch him on a night-to-night basis, he can play that real solid defensive type of uh, center role, very much in the same 
um, style of a Patrice Bergeron or a Jonathan Taves where they can produce, but they, they're really effective at shutting down the top units of the other guys. And there was one scout I was talking to earlier this year, and he said, well, Shane Wright... There was a lot of hype last year. He was he was off to that fantastic start after the under-17s, and this year he's slow out of the gate, probably an 80-point NHL player on a year-to-year basis. And I just kind of looked, and I was like, 80 points in the NHL? That's pretty damn good if you're uh, if you're clicking yep. along 80, 80 points every year consistently. Um, and so I think I think he's probably going to carve himself out a niche as, as a defensive guy at the World Juniors this year. Damn, I'd love to see that. Yeah. yeah, case. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of see him fitting into that team where they they give him a little bit of wiggle room to start off. But the hopes here for me is that he he does a Lafreniere type situation where he kind of finds his groove and then takes over for Team Canada. And I think that's what we all really want to see. But um, when there's a lot of hype going into the World Juniors, there's always a lot. There's a lot of doubt for me, like a guy like Quentin Byfield kind of rings to me there because I had so much hype for him a year ago or two years ago. And then it was just kind of um, underwhelming at first. And then again, he found his groove, but that's kind of a defensive center as well. So maybe uh, maybe that is the situation we're going to look at. Um, I, I don't want to jump around too much. We're talking about the world juniors, but I did have a question about something you've mentioned a couple of times now. And that's the slow start. I kind of noticed that with him. Like I, I, I've checked in on him a couple times this year and noticed the slow start. But my question for you is kind of more surrounding the league because you, you know, you see so much games, so many games. Um, do you think that the year off last year has really affected a lot of the players in this league? And do you think that that's going to have any sort of long-term repercussions on the guys that stuck around and didn't go to Europe? Well, that's a great question because a lot of the the average fans really didn't keep tabs on the guys who were over in Europe playing or found other spots to go play, and it's making a huge difference. One of the Kingston Frontenacs that they picked up, Lucas Edmonds, he was playing over in Sweden, and this year he's come out on fire, and you can tell that that year where he he's kept it up, he's been in competitive games, has really paid off. Whereas Shane Wright, he played what eight nine games at the under 18s as the captain but other than that there was there was nothing competitive that he was involved in and so for a top tier player it's going to hurt you a lot um we saw the the clark brothers out of uh the ottawa 67s and the barry colts they went over to europe and they played and it's paid off for them um it's a huge gap to go a year and a half and not play at all yeah, yeah. Like other, no, other, I, I than pond, other than pond hockey with with your friends on an outdoor <laughs> rink, where there's really no rules, there's no dimensions, no systems, none of that. Uh, and then you come back, and on top of that, they've got a new head coach at the helm, a new GM at the helm, a bunch of new staff members. And so, I think for Shane Wright, there's that period where he's got to get adjusted. And and you've got also these rookies that he's playing with this year, um, guys like Matthew Soto, Paul Ludwinski, who are getting their feet wet at the OHL level, who, like Shane Wright, haven't really played competitively in a year and a half. So they're making the jump from minor hockey to major junior. Shane Wright's trying to get back into the groove. So there's a lot of moving pieces. And I think that probably right around Christmas is when we'll start to see teams actually look like what they're going to be for that final playoff push. Yeah, no, that's exactly kind of the thought I had on it. And it's funny, I was going to bring up Graham Clark. Um, Obviously, I have my eye pretty close to him. Uh, uh, Him and Nico Dawes are two guys that I've noticed, two OHL players that would have been playing in the OHL. But because of the season last year, they went over to Europe and now get their shot in the AHL. And they're both really benefiting from it. So um, anyone who played 
any bit of competitive hockey is obviously hitting the ground running this year and Shane Wright is not one of those guys so I think and I uh, will I will say that they're set to get Zade Wisdom back at some point um over the next there's not a timetable but my guesstimation is probably the next 2 3 weeks he'll he'll see action maybe within the next week and Shane Wright and he played on the same line last year and Zade Wisdom and him had a lot of chemistry so I think when Zade comes back you might see uh the line of him Chromiak and Wisdom reunited which would be some familiarity which would help him Excellent. Yeah, and I think that everything I've heard about Shane Wright, this is just a little bit of adversity that he's going to overcome no matter what. And it's just more to his draft cap and his um, his value going into the NHL. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Alan, before we get into the uh, the conversation about the Montreal Canadiens, just to wrap it up on uh, on Shane Wright, looking at the teams that are in the bottom of the NHL standings and have a shot at winning the NHL draft lottery as of right now. I mean, I'm sure you would love to say Montreal, but is like, is it Montreal? Is there another team in that mix that you think knowing Shane, right? As well as you do um, a team that would be the perfect fit for him. I'd lo- I would love to say Montreal, but uh, but knowing them, they'll probably go on a run towards the end of the season and, and wreck their chances at it. Um, Vancouver, I, I think Vancouver could be a good fit for them, especially because of everything they're going through. We're going to see a major overhaul there over the next probably month. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. Um, it's just a matter of time, like in Montreal. So he could he could fit in nicely there as kind of a piece to build around. I want to say Arizona, but that's just a mess. And it is like, just get out if if you're there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like. I want to say your Sabers, but they seem to ruin guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm worried about that myself. And on another podcast, I actually said that the Sabers were going to be one of those like final teams knocking at a playoff spot door. So I can't really uh, contradict myself with that. But who knows? They can fall apart like they always do. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I a mean, team that's got young core, a young core that they're they're going through that rebuilding phase could really yep. benefit. And that's why Vancouver popped into my head because um, they've got some pieces like Pedersen, Horvat. Um, Quinn on the blue line. I think that if you slide like a Shane Wright in there, maybe start from there and they could have a bright future. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, uh, whatever franchise uh, lands him uh, at number one overall in the 2022 NHL draft is going to be very fortunate and uh, and benefit for a very long time. So uh, great conversation about Shane Wright. And uh, now let's get into the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, big news last weekend, firing general manager Mark Bergevin and assistant GM Trevor Timmons uh, and assistant GM Scott Mellenby resigning before that news broke out, Jeff Gordon steps in as the VP of Hockey Operations and will work alongside the new GM, whoever that is. Montreal currently sitting uh, at 29th in the NHL, coming off a loss uh, against the Vancouver Canucks on Monday night with a 6-16-2 record. So, uh, Alan, first of all, let's just get your initial reaction to uh the news last weekend and this was a move that you made very clear on social media 
was long overdue for the Montreal Canadiens. If if you go back through some of my tweets over the last two three years, I've been calling for this for a while. I don't I don't think Mark Bergevin was a good general manager. There's a lot of Habs fans and even some hockey fans confuse winning trades with building a contending team. And a lot like to say that if you do one, you can do the other. But you can go out and you can win trades, but it doesn't mean that your end goal is a team that can compete. And the thing that I've noticed with Mark Bergevin was he was pretty good at winning trades, but that because that's because he's picking up guys that don't fit into the big picture that other teams are getting rid of. And it was always like he's slapping a, a slab of flex seal on the holes that Montreal had um, just to get by. And that's not going to that's not going to work long term. And I know if you look at any of the NHL teams that have won over the last decade, they've tried that. But then they went through that real rebuild where you actually scale yeah. things down and start at the ground and build back up. And as much as it pains me to say this, Toronto's one of those teams that went and they cleared everything out and then rebuilt. And now they are looking like a force and like they maybe have it figured out. (laughs) Hold on. Don't say anything too soon. I know you're trying to jinx us similar to the Chris Johnston juggernaut tweet. (laughs) I know what you're trying to do here, Alan, but it's not going to work. Okay. You hate the Leafs and you can't say anything nice about them. Okay. We got that clear. Well, I mean, there's still that giant question and goal on what what they're going to ride with, but I think Montreal, I think Montreal will is in a good shape now because they're going to go in that new the new structure that you mentioned. Jeff Gordon's going to be the VP, and as much as I think that they need to move away from having a guy that strictly can communicate in French and English because we've got all sorts of technology and translators and stuff that can allow um, a strictly English-speaking general manager to still communicate with the French uh, fans in Montreal. Ownership sees it as something that's absolutely critical. And so they've got Jeff Gordon there. They're going to have another guy that can do both English and French. And it's going to be interesting to see that dynamic unfold. Yeah, I I'm sorry, but give me a fucking break. Like it, this is the NHL. Like this isn't like why is that a criteria for the position? Like can you explain that to me? I understand that they're the only team in the league who is is in a province where they speak primarily French. However, Half of their players aren't even Canadian, maybe probably more than half. And same with the entire NHL. And to me, it just makes absolutely zero sense why you would limit yourself to such a small pool of candidates. I know that Jeff Gordon is going to be doing the majority of of the heavy lifting for this this new group of of, uh, management. But like at the same time, don't you want to hire the best hockey mind you can or the best person for the job, not someone who might be good at the job? Like we've, you know, maybe, uh, you know, we've talked about many people. Maybe Danny Breer is the guy. But at the same time, don't you think there's someone better who might not speak French? Like, Alan, can you explain what that is going on with this team here? I like I don't fully understand it, but that's because I didn't grow up in the the French culture and stuff. But what I can what I can gather is that it goes back to their days when they were they had the rights to French players, and it was kind of the way of of throwing a bone to them as as um, most of most of the NHL at that time was it was strictly English, and they wanted Montreal in to kind of even the playing field out so they got access to that and then it kind of grew from there that's what i can gather and and the french fans are very adamant of it like 
there's times I've gotten into arguments with them on Twitter, and I'm like, listen, <laughs> if if this team only broadcasted their games in French and only did the interviews in French, I would find a way to still understand it. Like growing up, we only got the games in French. I still watch them because they were my team. Like you find a way to make it work, and we're in the 2021 where there you can speak into your phone and it translates it to you. Yeah. Like there's yeah. there's there's ways to get around that and and MLB, it happens all the time. Guys don't speak the language of of uh, their market. You got guys coming in from Cuba, uh, all over South America, Mexico, and they find ways to make it work. So I think it's very old school the way they're doing this, but that's the way they're going to do it. And so you mentioned Jeff Gordon's going to do a lot of the the heavy lifting, but I would love to see. Patrick Waugh. He just happens really? to speak both languages. I would love that. And he even came out, he came out uh, in the media today and he said, this team has been going in circles since 1993 and whatever they've tried hasn't worked. So what do they have to do by high or what do they have to lose by hiring me? Nothing. It's, it's either going to be the same or we're going to get better. And I think I know what it takes to make them better. So give me that type of guy, like a guy who's got the the bravado to come out and say, I know how to fix this team. Give me the chance. Okay. This isn't my, and I want to preface this, this isn't my thought. I just want to reiterate something I heard on uh, the 32 Thoughts podcast about Patrick Waugh being the GM of this team. Don't you think the two... Maybe not the two egos, but don't you think his ego would conflict with Jeff Gordon if Jeff Gordon is supposedly the guy who is, is like running the show in Montreal? Don't you think that'd be a problem? So he he addressed that in the interview that he did this week, and he said he he's come a long way since where since where he was in terms of that, and he's very open to the idea of working with another guy. So I have no reason to to disbelieve that he means that i don't know him personally but i think if it's an opportunity for him to get to the nhl because that's where he wants to be again i think he's willing to kind of check some things at the door if it gives him that opportunity and why wouldn't he want to take over the habs they've kind of they've kind of mended those fences that they broke after the 95 trade and then never (laughs) never really talked about until they retired his number i was gonna Um, say i could think of one reason but uh but but i think it's a full circle and and just looking at what he's done with the the ramparts and being able to retool them i know junior hockey's not nhl but he's been able to find success at the junior hockey level and approaching junior players who are now coming into the nhl tells me that he knows how to motivate those younger generation of players because it's new age that old school coaching doesn't work with them anymore they they want a different approach and so he gets that and i think it could be beneficial for the habs if they were to pick him there's other candidates too out there but just for the stories and the good and inevitable inevitable bad that would come i would love to see patrick Waugh. <laughs> That is an answer Case. that tells me that you just love chaos, the good and the bad <laughs> and the ugly from Patrick Wall. Well, well, look at look at Mark Bergevin's tenure. We've had chaos with him. Like there was there was the year where Pat or uh, Carey Price was injured, and then he came out and he said this team we're still going to compete, and then like half the team was injured and it was a mess. And it seems every other year there was some kind of chaos with Mark Bergevin. It's true. Case, you got anything? I've got like a ton more questions. I don't know why. Like, I'm just so interested in this in this situation. Got anything, Case, before I keep going? I don't know. I, I kind of 
obviously I, I agree that he, there hasn't been a good GM in Montreal in some time, but um, my question is, do you think that um, the problem is more with building a team and, and with drafting, or is it with the development that's gone on in Montreal with their players? It seems like they haven't been able to develop guys. There's guys that come into the organization with a little bit of hype and then they seem to fall flat, uh, you know, Victor Mete, Noel Juleson, uh, Sherbach, uh, Kokaniemi, I guess uh, I would throw in that category. And, and the kind of list goes on here. Like, it seems like a lot of the time they're either trying to rush guys into the lineup too quick. Again, Victor Mete, Cole Caulfield, for example, already is is kind of hurting from that. But obviously he's going to rebound. He's got that skill. But Ryan Paling, uh you know, again, the list goes on, but it seems like they're trying to rush guys and, and the development hasn't really worked. So do you think it's the scouting and, and or the development or is that a Bergevin problem? I think there, there are two that are linked together because I think you've got scouts who are evaluating these guys higher than where they should be. And so so the GM's drafting them in a spot where they're not meant to be. And so all of a sudden you've got this guy and, you, and you've got to answer for drafting them where they they do. And the answer for that is to get them into the lineup and get them playing. And then all of a sudden they don't work out and you have to trade them. And you look at their lineup before Cole Caulfield, the last first round selection that they they have in the lineup still is off the top of my head. I think it's Carey Price which was back early thousands oh, like yeah. your your first round selections should still be in your system from the last yeah. maybe not 10 years because i understand that things happen but you should definitely have it your five, something to show for your last five years of first round selections other well, than Cole caulfield i've got the list here for you uh, ready let's hear yeah. right carrie carrie price but david fisher ryan mcdonough uh wasn't a first round pick louis leblanc Jared Tenorti, Nathan Bellew, Alex Galchenyuk, Michael McCarron, Nikita Sherbach, uh, Sergachev, Paling, Kokaniemi, Caulfield, Caden Gooley, and then Logan Mayleu. So, so yeah. And, <laughs> and a good a good chunk of those guys, like when they've bounced around to other teams, they don't last with those teams because of whether it's it's differences with the coaching staff or attitude issues. To me, those are things that you should find when you're doing your interviews with these players leading up to the draft. Like, like something should set off an alarm bell that says, "Hey, this guy might not be a fit with our system." Yeah, yeah, and something that rings to me as a Bergevin problem here is that none of these guys are still on their roster, uh, but neither, none of them have really returned anything significant other than Sergachev. Well, and and not just that, but a lot of these guys aren't playing. In the NHL, which means, yeah. which to me, that says to me that they weren't NHL quality players to begin with. So how do you get them ranked that high? Yeah. Like, I can yeah, understand, no, I, I can, I can understand maybe one here and there where you overrank them and think there's something they're not because it's junior hockey players can fall off. They can graduate and then it doesn't turn out the way you want. But like for this to happen so often with one team. Like to me, that screams that your your scouting staff and your GM got different ideas of what it takes to be an NHLer. Yeah, for sure. And if you're going to miss on all these first round picks, you got to hit later in the draft. And none of no one's really jumping off the page for me here. Well, Brendan Brendan Gallagher is probably their their 
late round selection that that is Bergevin's biggest hit because I think he was a fifth or sixth round guy. Yeah. But then that creates another problem that I talked about earlier where he's trying to patch holes with with bargain deals because your drafting's been so terrible. So now you're picking up scraps that other teams don't want. Well, why don't they want them? There's a reason. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Um, Alan, I, I want to go back to one of the names that Casey mentioned, and uh, it was their their first round pick in the 2021 draft. And this was a question that was brought up by uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts, saying that um, was the Logan Mayu pick and all of that controversy around him, did that play a factor into... Uh, the firing of Bergevin and Trevor Timmons at all. What do you think about that? I think if they don't have the start that they have this year, it doesn't factor into it at all. But I think it's just another reason that gave Jeff Molson uh, an out to to kind of clear house and move forward with a new direction and a new, and a new staff. If this team comes out and they're knocking at the door at the top of the Eastern Conference, we're not even talking about that anymore. But yeah. because they've struggled, um, Carey Price in the draft and then the injury um, and then the Logan Mayu stuff, um, it's just it's just another thing that they can add to the list to hold against Mark Bergevin. And to be honest, it was kind of a baffling selection when they did it. Like this kid comes out, he puts out the press release saying, I don't want to be picked. Every other team in the league didn't choose him. And then Montreal coming off their best season since probably the last time they're in the conference finals against the Rangers and they do that, which ruins all the, the good will that they created with their playoff run. And so it can be forgiven if you get out to a, a good start, but then they struggled, they can't win games, they can't score goals. And then it just all piles on. So I think it factors into it. Um, I don't think it's, it's the main reason, but it's certainly one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. Talking about that pick, the Logan Mayu pick, um first of all like i'm shocked that he still went in the first round after putting out that statement saying i don't want to be picked at all i want to reevaluate and work on my character and come back next year um but i will say i did hear that only about half the teams in the nhl had him on their do not draft lists so only oh yeah about like half. like he was going in the draft um Probably one of those late round picks yeah. by a team in Montreal for some reason. Again, maybe that comes down to the scouting staff and the GM again um, decided this was a good move and they grab him in the late first round, which like I no matter how you slice it, it he could be the he could be Shane Wright. Um, you just it doesn't make any sense to pick him there. Yeah. And, and the funniest not the funniest because this is a serious matter, but when asked to justify the pick, Trevor Timmons was the one who had that famous quote, and, and I'll, I'll quote it here, I'll repeat it. It was, and that was it. It was just silence. There was nothing said. How can you not even justify the pick if you picked the guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that is well, crazy. I talked. I've got a buddy who used to be a scout for them. And like when that happened, he just goes, I can't believe that they picked him. Like it doesn't make any sense at all why they would select him there. 
and and you nailed it like trevor timmons reaction they're in the dressing room when they're doing this press conference it was still when they were doing zoom yeah and he's just sitting there and somebody asked him he just goes i uh and then it's silence you're just like well did this freeze and then no he blinks and there's just (laughs) no justifying it 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 almost like bergevin went rogue and just decided on his own to choose this kid that was yeah that was that was like that was 10 seconds of of just silence and that 10 seconds felt like six minutes like that was unbelievable it did that was that was painful for sure uh case sorry an nhl team an nhl team is a business and a business does background checks on every single person that they hire and drafting this kid is hiring him so i it absolutely blew my mind when i saw that i was like not only is the the gm and scouting in question but hr is in question yeah (laughs) in that case seriously absolutely Uh, alan i had another question for you i have a couple but my first one that i wanted to ask and i know we're running a bit you know long on time here so i guess we should wrap up soon but the first question i wanted to ask you is um did you expect this out of the gate from the montreal Canadiens? did you expect them to be this bad after making the stanley cup finals last season because i did not of course you did. You're <laughs> Stuff that Stuff that get, get those get those digs in now because uh what was it three one and and how did that work out yeah, yeah, um, yeah. i'm i didn't think they were going to be this bad i i honestly thought that they had upgraded a lot of areas that um were struggling in but then the weber news falls the carry price news falls um, and all of a sudden it seems like like those two, it looks like this team is just missing leadership in there. And then you look at the pieces that they moved out in Deneau, Perry, even Kakanyami, and you start to you start to th- figure it out that uh, these players maybe were a bigger piece to the puzzle than a lot of fans thought. Yeah, I think the Deneau one hurts a lot now and seeing him having, you know, a relatively successful start to the year with with L.A., I think they they definitely miss some of that leadership, defensive capabilities and just overall, like just a veteran player who knows how to how to play. Well, especially because Matthew Perrault, who was supposed to be the guy to replace him, um, has been injured. So, yeah, (laughs) there's another guy on the list. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Alan, I, I want to go back to Jeff Gordon, the, the man that comes in as the VP of, of hockey operations. And uh, just speaking for myself, uh, I, I'm quite fond of, of Jeff Gordon and the job that he did with uh, the Boston Bruins as an assistant general manager and then the job that he did as a GM in New York with the Rangers. And that was a situation where he was kind of the quiet guy just going about his business and making all the hockey moves and the decisions. And then uh, he's got the face there in John Davidson. Now the roles are reversed a little bit for him where he's uh, going to be in that top role in the Canadians organization, but he can still conduct himself the way he always has uh, and, and work with the general manager, whoever that will be. So um, just my question for you is uh, why do you think uh, Jeff Gordon is a good hire for the Montreal Canadians? 
he he seems to have a modern approach to building an NHL team. And you talked about his work with Boston, which was a massive success there, kind of retooled that organization along with um, their GM's name escapes me right now. Oh, Don Sweeney. That's it. Um, they just they retooled that Boston team who needed it very badly and uh, made them one of the contenders in the East. And then um, New York, a lot of the success that they're seeing right now was because of the work that Jeff Gordon put in um, during his time. And I think I think he's one of the one of the better talent evaluators in the in the NHL and, and being able to see what you've actually got there instead of what could be. And I think maybe that's that's one of Mark Bergevin's faults was that he was banking on the what could be instead of the what actually is. Whereas Jeff Gordon's going to see what you have there. And he's going to come in with no attachment to any of these players. Mark Bergevin maybe had that um, personal attachment or that emotional attachment to certain players. Gordon can come in and he he can do whatever he sees fit to to make this team better. And if I'm him right now, the only untouchable is Nick Suzuki. Everybody else is in play. And if you can find a suitor for them, go out and do it. Even Caulfield? Uh, everybody's got a price. Fair enough. The only one, the only one I'm not touching is Nick Suzuki because I think, I think he could probably turn into a maybe a uh, lesser Patrice Bergeron down the road, maybe even like the same type of uh, Patrice Bergeron. But everybody else uh, is is if you can if you can find a deal that's going to make your team better, why not? And Alan, you got to be feeling good that um, Suzuki is locked up long term. Uh, before this all happens, right? Because, I mean, that would just be another reason for the Canadians fans to to be uh, to be worried. Um, but, uh, you know, down the middle, just talking about Suzuki, uh, we mentioned Ryan Paling a little earlier. I do think he's starting to slowly hit his stride, which is a good sign for this team. Yeah, Paling's really impressed me uh, since his call-up. He's been uh, solid um for the Montreal Canadiens and kind of looks like he's starting to put it all together and he's got that chance now to go and have that expanded role with the Habs um this mess maybe is is a blessing in disguise in that sense because now they've got to play him and see what he's got whereas before they were going on the, that run last year and he was buried in uh, Laval not getting that opportunity on the big stage now we're seeing what he can do and I like it I think I think he fits into the Habs future plans if he if he sticks around and he could be a uh, third fourth line guy for them Alan this is my last one uh, that I have for you we talked about sort of like the struggles of the Habs this year and and the firing of the management group and everything. Um, What do you think the Habs need to do this season at the deadline in particular? What is sort of your short-term and long-term expectations of this team? Short-term, you got to go and you have to evaluate that. What are the, what are the building blocks of your team moving forward? If if Brendan Gallagher's not in your future plans because he's now up there and he's got a I think it's a six year contract. Yep. Um, if he's if he's not in your future plans, then you go and you find a suitor for him and get some pieces back, whether they're young guys or draft picks, something you can use to to move forward. Same with 
you're going to have a ton of suitors for Carey Price. And, and you got to look at that. He's on the other side of 30 right now, and he's a Hall of Fame goaltender down the road. You're going to have guys lining up to take shots at him, um, especially with his playoff performance last year. And you'd be crazy not to entertain those offers. I think probably Ben Sherratt's on his way out as well. Um, some other guys too. And that's that's the short term. The long term is... You, you have to find an identity for what your team's going to be. And I'm a firm believer in you, you build with strength down the middle and then go from there. And they've got a player like Nick Suzuki that can kind of be the center point for that. And so start to surround him with guys that are going to accentuate that. Young, speed. Um, I don't think size is as much a requirement anymore as it used to be. It's still nice to have some because come playoff time, you're going to have the grind. And you're going to get knocked around, but you don't need that emphasis as much. And your defense have to be able to skate and move the puck. And Montreal just doesn't have that right now on their blue line. They're big, tall, bulky guys that are going to punish forwards. But when it comes to skating, well, I mean, Ben Chirot's not going not gonna to set the world ablaze, that's for sure. I think the last, like, actual puck-moving defenseman who could play consistently in their top four that they've had... I mean, you can say Petrie, we've seen it in flashes, and also Weber, like, he he could move the puck a lot better before, you know, his his whole injury uh, fiasco, but I want to say, like, Andre Markov. Like, they haven't You're, had a yep. ton of guys who have been able to yeah. move the puck efficiently. Mar- Markov is the guy, and you know what? Maybe... I think he's still playing out there. Go on, <laughs> sign him on, like, uh, sign him on a one-year deal, have him come in and mentor a player like Romanov. Yeah, there you go. So, my kind of building off my final question here, and I promise this is my final one. You think that they should just blow it up then? Is that right? Yeah, I like so. Mark Bergevin did what he called a retool, which was essentially a rebuild without the title. Um, but he tried to do it on the fly, and it doesn't it doesn't work because you're just getting like bargain pieces to try to plug holes and all of a sudden you get players like Shea Weber who was banged up Carey Price is banged up and those guys you're relying on now your team gets exposed I think you have to start over and just do what the Rangers really did and and start at the ground level and go from there yeah Case uh, any final uh, questions or thoughts for, uh, for Alan before we wrap up uh, I'm trying to think of how I want to pose this question to Alan, and I'm having a difficult time here. But basically, I want to give him a chance to have both a scapegoat on this season as well as a uh, a chance to come clean about last season. Basically, I'm trying to ask: Is you you can only pick one? You can only pick one. Are they having bad luck this season? but really deserve to go to the Stanley Cup Finals last year? Or are they, um, was there a lot of circumstance that's happening for them to have a bad season this year? But to tag that along, you have to say that there was a lot of good circumstance to allow them go to, to go to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals last year. You, you can only pick one side to be on here. Yeah, so were were they unlucky last year or <laughs> so were they lucky last year or unlucky this year? I guess is what you're getting at, AKs. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to I'm I understand. To you there's two universes that you you have to pick one to live in and have the best of both worlds that, you know, they deserved it last year, but there's a lot of circumstances on why it's bad this year. 
So I think I think it's that one. I think they they definitely earned it in the playoffs last year. Like they they played a perfect game to to expose the weaknesses of the teams that they played. Like Toronto, they didn't they tried to play that run and gun for the first three games and they got burned. And so all of a sudden they said, "Hey, we're not gonna this is, this won't work. We have to slow it down and grind it out." And then started to see success. And I think Carey Price got hot, which would be one of those things going right. And then this year there's a lot going wrong for them injuries um off ice stuff with mark bergevin and all that um and so i I think that's what it is i it's a tough question but but if that's (laughs) alan if that's the case then wouldn't you say okay we have a good team here let's not blow it up and let's kind of figure out what the problem is and it can't be very big right like don't those two ideas go together the team that went the team that went last year you've lost I think it was seven guys from that roster that when I went through and plucked them off. And yeah, they're they're supporting cast members, but you've got off the top of my head, Corey Perry's gone. Gustafson's gone. John Merrill's gone. Um, Phil Deneau's gone. Kokanyemi's gone. Shea Weber's out right now. Um, and there's another guy that's escaping me off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, seven big pieces of that roster are gone. And I know it looked like a, it looked like a, tryout contract for Corey Perry, but he was a massive role on that Habs team last year and a big reason yeah. why they were able to get into the playoffs. He was. And yeah. and now that he's gone to Tampa Bay, which is tough to swallow because that's the team you you lost to in the in the final. Um but his leadership I think was really good for those uh those young players. And I know um he reached out to Nick Suzuki when Nick Suzuki signed his deal this year. And that kind of mentorship goes a long way. Everybody talks about the intangibles. Corey Perry brought that off the ice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Alan, thanks for answering that question. And Chad, thanks for saving that question. Um, <laughs> I am a lot better at arguing and complaining than I am at interview questions. And I'm sure that half the listeners are on the ground right now, writhing in pain after they try to gouge their own ears out. <laughs> Christ. That's all right, Case. We could uh, we could still follow that one. So um, yeah, we'll fix no, that worries. no worries at <laughs> yeah. all. Uh Alan, last one for me. It's just it, it's a simple one to, to wrap things up. Uh, where do you see the Montreal Canadiens finishing in the standings at the end of the season? Uh, that's that's so hard because there's some bad teams in the Eastern Conference this year. Um, I think they'll probably get it together and they'll finish probably, I say, around probably 11, 12, somewhere around there in the conference. They always have a okay. knack. They always have a knack for, for really for really putting like a run together when they shouldn't. Yeah. And and Carey Price is gonna be back, so you know he's gonna steal some games for them. Um and again, they're gonna have some some games down the stretch against some bad teams where it's gonna be like the Flint Michigan Mega Bowl. So um, <laughs> you know that's good for a couple points here and there. And so I think I think they'll probably finish. They'll finish in the bottom half of the the conference, and who knows? Maybe it's uh, maybe the the price is right this year. <laughs> Could be. That's uh, that's a good uh, that's a good place to end it. So, uh, Alan, again, uh, thank you so much. It, it's always a pleasure, and uh, 
looking forward to seeing uh, what happens in the near future uh, here with the Montreal Canadiens, who they hire uh, as their next general manager, what kind of deals and decisions they make moving forward. So uh, thank you for uh, for the insight. Uh, always appreciated and uh, take care. All the best. Thanks again. Always a pleasure to join you guys. Thanks for joining us, Alan. Looking forward to uh, mopping the floor with you in a few weeks in fantasy. Hey, listen, I should have I should have my guys back by then. Fingers crossed, and then I'm coming to the case. Oh, damn. All right, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. This has been another episode of Boys in the Booth with Harper Cody, Chad Melbourne, and Casey Abrams. New episodes every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Connect with the Boys in the Booth on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Boys in the Booth. Visit boysinthebooth.com for show details. And don't forget, you can become a patron of the podcast for just $1 a month at www.patron.com slash boysinthebooth.